Well, I'd like to welcome each and everyone here on this beautiful resurrection morning and just want to tell you what a blessing it is to be here with all of you, to, to sing the songs that we have, to, to be able to speak about what we're about to speak about. I see old friends, I see some new faces, I just want you to know it's such a blessing to be here with you this morning. I find myself standing before you this morning with a thankful heart. I don't know, maybe it's been the preparation of the sermon over the past couple weeks, or just the hope that this day brings, but whatever it is, I just want to let you know that I am thankful I'm thankful this morning for what this day means. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ came to die and give His life for mine so that I might be saved. I am thankful that He was crucified for my sins and that He is risen from the dead and lives in victory over sin and death. I am thankful that He is coming again to take us home forever. If you are thankful for that this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Such a blessed, blessed thing that we are about to talk about because all of that is because of the resurrection. All of that is because He lives. We've been talking about that this month, in the month of April, with our sermon series titled, Why It Matters. And we've been just focusing on the resurrection. I mean, what does it mean for us? Why does it matter? We've seen a couple different things, that it shows that God keeps His Word. He told us in the Old Testament. And He did what He said. We've seen that it brings us hope and peace. And this Easter morning, what I would like us to see is that it gives us life. It gives us life. So this morning, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. I think there's people out there that are confused what this morning's all about. Maybe bunnies or eggs or baskets or... And if you ask kids to explain Easter, you're going to get all kinds of different responses. And as you're turning to the text, let me just share a few of them that I came across. One young boy said, well, Jesus died on the cross and they put him in the ground, but he grew up out of the ground like a flower and then started walking around everywhere. (laughs) One young lady said, well, when he died, they put him in a cave and they wrapped him in white paper. And I don't know what he did in there for three days, but I think he was waiting. I think he was waiting to come out and I think maybe he had soda and hot Cheetos because that's what I do when I wait. One child said, well, when he was dead, he had to go work on a project. And the interviewer asked, well, what was the project? Yeah, he made a bunny. It was a really big bunny. But he told the bunny, never, ever hide eggs, but the bunny doesn't listen. (laughs) Or perhaps my favorite, some really bad men pinned Jesus on a cross. And they stabbed him in the heart, and they hurt his heart. And they made Jesus cry. But He came back to give us hugs and love us so we can be happy. Well, how about we turn to the Word of God and find out what really happened and what this day is all about. So if you have your Bibles in Matthew chapter 28, would you stand together as we read the text? We do this in honor of the Word. We believe the Word of God is holy and living and truth. And so we stand in the honor of its reading. Matthew chapter 28 will begin in verse 1 and go down through verse 9. Matthew 28 verse 1 through verse 9. I will be reading from the, new, uh, excuse me, from the King James this morning. Matthew 28 verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door 
and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear ye not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail, or rejoice. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you with thankful hearts this morning for what we are about to talk about, that Jesus is alive and He lives forevermore, and that brings us hope, Lord. I ask that You would open our minds and our hearts to this great and wonderful truth, that we would see how much You have done for us in it, what it means for us, and give me the words to say, give us listening ears. Let Your Spirit move upon us and show us where we stand in need before You this morning. I ask all of this in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. So as we come to this text this morning, probably familiar to you, I'm sure you've heard it, I'm sure you've read it for yourself, but as we come to the text this morning, you must understand what has happened just prior to this. It's not been a good couple days. Just prior to this, in fact, three days and three nights earlier, Jesus of Nazareth He who is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, God in the flesh. He who has been gentle and loving and caring and healing. He has been betrayed by one of His own. He's been falsely accused and mock trials held. He has been mocked by men, beaten, slapped spit on, whipped until the very bones from his back would show, a crown of thorns thrust down upon his head, portrayed as a public spectacle, led out to the hill of Calvary, and there nailed to a cross, and left to suffer in agony for hours until he died. All for having done nothing. In fact, all for being perfect. And His disciples have watched this. They've seen His love. They've seen His gentleness. They've seen His care and how He interacted with the outside world. All of those around Him. And they watched all of this happen to Him. Helpless. I'm sure they wanted to cry out, and maybe they even did cry out in their own hearts or their own minds. He's done nothing. He's innocent. Stop. He does not deserve this. But yet we know it must happen. They watched this happen, and it broke their heart. And now, three days and three nights later, he's been, uh, they come to a tomb which he's been sealed in. They rolled a stone in front of the door. They would seal it and they kept, kept it under Roman guard. Soldiers watching the door. 
And it is to this tomb the women come this morning in this text. And we have to understand their hearts must have been full of so many feelings. They would be mourning. Jesus is dead. They murdered him. What happened? Why? These things would be going through their hearts. Feelings of fear. Feelings of sadness. Broken over all that had happened. And no doubt their faith shattered. You see, they were focused on some things. They were focused on some things they thought Jesus was going to do. I thought He was going to overthrow Rome. I thought He was going to bring up Israel to do this or to do that. They were focused more on what they thought God was going to do and they weren't focused enough on what God was just about to do. And listen, I think we find ourselves there at times in our life, right? Maybe our faith has fallen or maybe we feel feelings of fear or sadness or maybe we're broken over some circumstances in our life or maybe even we're focused on some things we thought God should have done. Things haven't turned out like we thought. Well, maybe I tell you this morning, keep your eyes on Christ because He does the impossible. He does the impossible. Yes, their faith was shattered. It says there in verse 1 of Matthew 28, they went to see what? The tomb. They went to see the tomb. They didn't go to see Jesus. If they had had faith, they'd have been outside the tomb probably at day two waiting. I can't wait to see this. But they didn't do that, did they? They go to see the tomb. Their faith was weak. Their faith was fallen. And all of that changes for them in just a moment, doesn't it? All of that changes for them in the moment as they feel the ground shake and they see the angel and they see the empty tomb and then they see the risen Christ. What is His first words to them? Rejoice. Rejoice. And that's what happens when we see Jesus for who He really is. When we see Him as more than just a man, or more than just a teacher, or more than just a prophet, when we see Him for who He is, He is Savior, and He is Lord, and He is God, and He is risen and alive. And because of that, He is the One who brings us life. And I hope to help us see that today. The sight of the Savior changed everything for these women and for the disciples and for us. And if we can get a glimpse of that, if we can see that truth in our own hearts, I think it will give us strength, reignite some hope. In fact, I I know it will change our lives. I'm not here to prove the resurrection this morning. The Bible you hold in your hands is proof enough. This is the living Word of God, which is truth. If it says it, I believe it, period. And it tells me that Jesus is alive. And Paul says later in 1 Corinthians, listen, you can ask over 500 people that are alive at the time of that writing. Go ask them. They've seen him too. I think we're beyond the point that it happened. It happened. It is a fact. But what I want to focus on is, okay, what does it mean for me? Why does it matter so much? Why have millions, if not billions of people given their very lifeblood to defend the fact that Jesus is Savior and He is risen. 
Does it mean that much? Well, yes, it does. And I hope to help us see that today. And what I would like to focus on is the words that changed everything in verse 6. In verse 6. What does the angel tell them? What does he start out with in verse 6? He is not here. (laughs) He's not here. He's gone. There's no grave site to go visit Jesus. There's no tomb to go pay respects to his body. There's no body in a tomb. He's not there. And oh, how the world would love to produce a body. The leaders of this day would love to have produced a body. The world, there are some in the world that would love to say, look, his grave is right there. He's not who he says he was. He's dead and there's his body. But they can't do that, can they? They cannot do that because there is no body. He is alive. They even did everything to prevent it when they buried him. You know when it said they sealed the tomb? You know what that means? They would like tie cords all around it in front of the, st- the stone. They would seal it in the center with, a, with like a big wax ring, which probably bore the stamp of Pilate. And then they placed a guard outside. Everything possible to keep Jesus in that tomb. But what does the angel say? He's not here. <laughs> He's not here. He came out. He's gone. And praise God for that fact. You see, man can try to prevent God from doing what God does, but you can't stop God from being God. Satan can try to throw everything in our way. He can try to throw doubts and fears in our minds, and he can try to throw circumstance, or he can even try to throw your own failings back up in your mind to prevent God from doing a work in your life. But God is not held back by obstacles. You must know that. God is not held back by obstacles. God is not held back by circumstance. God is not even held back by faithlessness. God is not stayed at human impossibility. God does what is humanly impossible each and every time. It's not a problem for Him. You can throw a mountain on top of that tomb. Jesus is still coming out in three days and three nights. He is not there. For He is risen. I I don't know how any clearer I can say it. This is one of those truths that is so simple yet so deep. Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He's not in a tomb. Somebody didn't steal His body. Jesus is alive. I can't say it any clearer. I can't say it enough. And I'll continue to say it with all that I am, even to my dying breath. Jesus lives. He was dead, he was crucified for sin, he was buried, but he physically rose from that grave three days and three nights later, and he is alive forever. Does he not say in Revelations, Behold, I am he who was dead and am alive forevermore. That is the most wonderful news that I've ever heard in my life. That is the most wonderful news that you will ever hear in your life. So wonderful, it's the Gospel. It is the good news. It is what has been preached for thousands of years and will be till He returns. It is so important that every book of this Bible points to it. It is mentioned, it is referenced, it is pointed to by every book of this Bible. Every part of it proclaims Jesus is alive. So wonderful it changed the life of His disciples who were faithless and fallen, and broken. And so wonderful, it causes us to bow at His feet and worship just as they did. It is the point of the message as we go and tell others. He's not here, 
Look, see for yourself. He is not here, for He is risen. Now look at that last part of verse 6. He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. Did you notice that when we first read it? It's kind of easy to to skip over sometimes as you're, you're reading. That little phrase has arrested my attention. It is stuck in my head and in my heart. And I think, I think the Spirit has laid on my heart some things to bring out regarding that. He's not here. He's risen, just like He told you. That's what the angel is saying, right? Just as He said. Here's how Luke records it in his gospel. The angel said unto the women, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. He did exactly what he said he would do. So then, it becomes very, very important the things Jesus has said to us, doesn't it? If He said, I'm going to be crucified and buried, and then I'm going to rise again, and the angels say, He's not here, He's risen, just like He told you, it does us good to pay attention to all the words that Jesus tells us now, doesn't it? Because if He did that... He's going to do what He says in other parts too. And of all the ways we could go this morning and all the things that we could focus on, what I want to set before you this resurrection morning is three short and simple promises. All things that Jesus said and all of them having to do with this fact. Because Jesus lives, He gives us life. Because Jesus lives, He gives us life. Why does the resurrection matter for you? It gives you life. And I hope the Spirit makes this clear. Even if I falter and fail in my speech, I pray the Spirit makes this clear through the Word. This is our hope. This is our everything. So what I want you to know first is because He is risen, He is risen He gives us eternal life. Because He is risen, He gives us eternal life. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about this, didn't He? He's constantly talking about life. Eternal life. Everlasting life. I want to give you just a couple things that He says, and they're all going to be from the book of John, because we could spend the whole morning just going over all the Gospels. But just... Five statements from the book of John from Jesus. And how about we start with like the most famous Bible verse ever. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have, finish it for me, everlasting life. He who believes in the Son has everlasting or eternal life. How about John 14? I am the way, the truth, And the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Or John 6. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. John 8. If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. John 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Those are big claims to make, aren't they? You want to live eternally? You need to believe in me. In fact, I'm the one who gives it. If you don't, you die in your sins and you are under condemnation forever. It's me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus says. You don't come to God. You do not come to God except it be through me. Those are some very big and very exclusive claims to make. And the human mind can say, what? You give eternal life? How can you say that? Well, you don't say that unless you can prove it by an unmistakable, infallible proof like raising yourself from the dead. In fact, what did Jesus say? I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it up again. And lest you think those are idle words, He does exactly that. (laughs) He lays down His life and then He takes it up again. All that to say, when Jesus says something, you can bank on it. In fact, you better bank on it. You can trust it. It is the truth. And when He says, I am the one who gives eternal life, He means it. Not only is this backed up by His own words, but it's also backed up by God the Father. If you've done any Scripture reading or or listen to any kind of a message, you'll hear in other places in the New Testament it says, God hath raised Him from the dead, right? Well, okay, did Jesus raise Himself or did God raise Him up? I'll give you the answer to that. Yes. Yes. Jesus is God, so it's the same. But when it talks about that, here's what it's saying. It's speaking of God's full and final acceptance of Jesus' death on the cross as the atonement for sin. It's God's amen to the cross. Didn't Jesus, or excuse me, didn't God say of Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased? At the empty grave, He says it loudest and clearest. This is Him. There is no doubt. If you look at Scripture, there is no doubt that Jesus is the Savior. And boy, do we need one, don't we? Humanity is stained by sin. We try to be good, but we can't. No matter how hard we try, we still lie. We still steal. We still covet. We still do all kinds of things against God. We are stained by sin. Sin sick. Oppressed by it. The Bible tells us that we are lost and condemned and guilty before holy God because of it. Romans 3.23, I'm sure you know it and you've heard it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every time we lie, every time we steal, every time we covet, every time we sin, it's not only against those around us, it's in the face and against a holy and righteous Creator. And because of that, we face eternal judgment. God is holy. He cannot stand sin. We face eternal judgment for that. And the Bible tells us it's an eternal judgment. Separation from God forever. In a very real place called hell. How do I know it's real? Jesus talked about it. And if Jesus says something and does it when He talks about hell... It's real. 
It's a place of suffering. It's a place of torment. It's a place of separation. We can't buy our way out of it. We can't work our way out of it. We can't be good enough. Even though we try, we can't cut it. Because at our core, we're sinners. You know that for yourself. I don't have to tell you that. You know the thoughts you think. You know the words that you say. You know how it comes out of you. Well, it's because we are sinful and facing judgment. And try as we might, we cannot save ourselves. Our only hope, our only hope forever is Jesus. See, God loves you so much He gave His Son to die for you. On that cross, though it might appear to the human eye that Jesus was murdered, it might appear appear that He was executed. That is not the case. Jesus gave Himself to die for sin. He went to that cross willingly. The Scriptures tell us He set His face toward Jerusalem because He knew what it meant. I must go die on that cross because it is the redemption of mankind. On that cross, Jesus took all of your sin. He took all of my sin. And in exchange for it, He gave His precious, sinless blood to cleanse it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He took my sin and He died in my place. He died in your place. It should have been you on that cross. It should have been me bearing the wrath of God. He cries from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know what the answer to that is? Me. And you. As He took our sin and gave His life. He did that because He loves you. He did that to redeem you, to purchase you back from sin. He did that to save you. And then... To prove that He has that power, He rose again three days later, showing that He alone has the victory over sin and death. He alone has power over that. He alone is the Savior. He alone gives eternal life. As He says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. It's Me. It's nobody else. It's Me. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in Me shall never die. Believest thou this? That's the question, isn't it? Do you believe? Have you looked to the cross and seen Him dying for your sin? And have you placed your faith in Him and cried out to Him, Save me, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't do that for you. Oh, I wish I could. Your parents can't do that for you. Nobody else can do that for you but you. He's a personal Savior. And the moment that you turn to Him, the moment that you confess your sins and cry out to Him for salvation, the Bible tells us we're saved. We are redeemed from judgment. Born again with a new nature. Our sins are washed away. They're taken away. They're in the past. Never to come back again. I am cleansed by the blood of Christ and I am given eternal life and a home in heaven. And I pray to God that you know that for yourself this morning. He died on the cross for you and He has risen for your justification. You know that Romans 4 tells us that? Delivered for our offenses, risen for justification. All that to say, you 
can place your total faith and trust in Him. Because his gave, He gave His blood for your sins and He rose in victory over power. Victory and power over death and sin. And I pray that you know Him. Ephesians tells us, By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. It's faith. It's faith in the wonderful grace of God that He has reached down to redeem us from hell, to redeem us from eternal torment, to bring, him, bring us to Himself forever. And He did that through the cross. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Oh, I pray even before the, the sermon is over that you would do so. Have you accepted His gift by faith and can you call Him your Savior? I remember being asked when I was just a young child a question that still rings in my head today and I say it many times. If your eyes were to close in death right now, where would you open them? Heaven or hell? I say heaven and here's why. For me, Jesus saved me. I have placed my faith in Him when I was just a young child I cried out to Him, asked Him to save me, and my eternity is now sealed. I pray that you can say that. And if there is any doubt in your mind, I pray that you would turn in faith to Christ even this morning. He is the one who gives us eternal life, and He can do that because He is the life. He lives. Death has no victory over Him. He is alive. The next point, that's the long point. The next two will be shorter (laughs) as we move along. The second thing I'd like you to notice, or know if you don't, is because He lives, He gives us a resurrected life here and now. Because He lives, He gives us eternal life. My home is in heaven, and I pray that you know your home is in heaven forever simply because you've trusted in the blood of Christ. But because He lives, He also gives us a resurrected life right here and right now. He had much to say about this too. John 8. I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. And in John 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more, what? Abundantly. Now listen, when you trust in Christ for salvation, your eternity is sealed. Your home is in heaven and nothing can take that away. But it's not over there. It's just starting. There's a life to live for Him. A life that God calls us to. And beloved, may I tell you, it's the best life I could ever imagine walking with Christ. You know, the Bible tells us we ought to to do some things for Him. We ought to make a public identification with Him. Be baptized. Join up with His local church and Walk together with His people and worship and pray together and spread the gospel together and support each other, help each other. I think this is one of the parts that a lot of people reject nowadays. I know the day that we live in. People say, man, I don't need church. That's old school. That's old-fashioned. That was good for my grandparents, but Not anymore. Well, let me just say one thing to that. We as faith Baptists have walked through some dark places and hard times together, haven't we? Things I don't think we could have made it through without each other. And it may have just been one person's struggle 
But we did it together, didn't we? Because that's what a church is for. We're here for each other to help each other and to pray for each other and to serve God together. Why would you, why would you not want that kind of support system and family and love and peace and all of that? Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, if you would, please. Just take a right turn. You'll bump into it right after the book of John and the book of Acts. Romans chapter 6, just two verses there in verse 3. Romans 6 and verse 3. It says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There's a new life that He has called us to. A brand new life because we're a brand new person. We're living for Him now. We're not living for what used to be or what I once was. Wouldn't it have been a shame if the two women had just kept walking around broken down and sad and depressed after they had saw the empty tomb, after they had saw Jesus? Oh yeah, He's risen. And do you know many people live for Christ like that? Well, yeah, it's good. I love church. (laughs) Wait a second. First of all, what did the women do? Great joy. They run to tell people, don't they? Hey, Jesus is alive. He did what He said. And second of all, we've been called to a brand new life because we know that same wonderful truth. Jesus lives. Jesus saves. And He wants you to be too. We're living a brand new life. And the Bible tells us we don't live it in our own power anymore. We live it in Christ's power. In fact, Ephesians tells us that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead works in me, works for me, exceeding abundantly above everything that I could even ask or think. I've got God backing me now. I'm sure growing up, for most of us, we knew that Dad had our back. I could always trust my dad to take care of things. Well, maybe you had that, maybe you didn't, but I'll tell you right now, God's got your back. He is the Heavenly Father that never fails. You're living as His child in His power now. So listen, that resurrection power works in your life to overcome some things. It works to overcome that fear, the fear that, that causes us to stop. It works to overcome that doubt and the failing and the self-loathing. All the things Satan wants to pile in front of your way. He wants to seal you up in the tomb of your used to be. He wants to seal you up in the tomb of your fear. Things that we think we can't do and we can't overcome and will never be. But the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead works in our lives to roll away the unbreakable, the unrollable stones that we think we can't get past. That works in us because of Him. You can through Jesus. You understand that this morning? You can through Him. You are forgiven. You are His child. He loves you. He works for you. That is the truth of the Scripture. Hebrews 
7 and 25 tells us this. He is able. Do you believe this morning that God is able? He is able to save them to the uttermost. Not just a little bit, not just a little part of the way, but all the way, all the way through and through. He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Christ. Seeing, now listen, He ever liveth to make intercession for them. You understand? Christ is interceding for you. So when you sin, you are forgiven. When you confess, you are forgiven. When you seek for strength, He gives it to you. When you seek for guidance, He is there and He is faithful to guide us. And those things you think are insurmountable or that you can't overcome or impassable, understand, Jesus has already won over those things. He is alive. He killed sin. He killed death. He stands in victory already. And He will give us the same if we would simply lean on Him. And trust Him. Stay close to Him. And He gives us that peace that passes understanding. That joy unspeakable. Resurrection power to do the impossible in our lives. How do I know that? Because He lives. Because He lives. Last thing I'd like you to consider is because He lives... He will glorify us forever. So He gives us eternal life. He gives us resurrection power in our lives right here and right now. And He will glorify us forever. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll finish here. And as you're turning there, let me read you another thing that Jesus Himself said. Right? That's important. It's kind of what we're focusing on this morning. What did Jesus say about that? In John 6, he says this, Everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. I will raise Him up when it's all said and done. Look there in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming. The first fruit, what in the world is he talking about? Well, you plant a rose bush. You will know the colors of the roses by the first bloom that comes on the plant. And you will know the taste of the apples from the first one that buds on the tree. Christ's resurrection, the fact that He lives, is a promise and it is a picture of what will one day happen for those who believe. Christ is the first fruits. He's the example. And then in Him we will be made alive, them that are Christ's at His coming. You know, and I know, this body is corrupted, right? Even if you kind of like the way that you look, even if you don't, it's still corrupted. We're mortal. We get sick. We get tired. We grow old. We get all wrinkled up and lose hair and grow hair. And I think there's somebody inside my head yanking them down on the top of my head, maybe pushing them out my chin. Every time I look in the mirror, what is happening? 
I used to not have wrinkles. I used to have more hair. It's just the way it happens, right? We grow old. You can take the best care of your body that you want. But one day it will fail and you will die. I will die because of this body. It's corrupted. Well, let me tell you what the promise of Jesus is. The promise of Jesus, and it is sealed by His resurrection, proven by His resurrection, is that when He returns, our resurrection will happen. My resurrection will happen. When that sky splits and He sets His foot on the Mount of Olives, I will be changed. Those who believe in Him will be changed. Says The Bible tells us those who have died in Christ first will raise. They're no longer under the curse of decay and death, but they will come out of that grave very much alive and very much brand new, just like Jesus did. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who remain and are alive will be caught up in the clouds with them. And so we shall ever be with the Lord. You understand? One day I'm going to have a new body. He's going to glorify this old failing body. And we'll have a brand new one. A perfect one. A sinless one. I don't quite know what it's going to be like. It's part of the mysteries of Scripture. What age are we going to be? What are we going to look like? Am I going to have the same color hair? I don't, I don't know. I can't answer those. But I'll tell you what. If it's anything like Jesus' body after His resurrection, it's going to be pretty awesome. He's popping in and outdoors. He's going through walls. He's eating. Of course, He eats fish. Maybe I like fish in the resurrection. I don't know. But He's eating. He tells Thomas, Hey, touch my hand, touch my side. It's physical. In fact, He says, A spirit hath not flesh and bones. Come, see that I'm real. I'm alive. Listen, I don't know quite what it's going to be like. Even John says that in 1 John. We don't under, I don't understand what it's all going to be like, but I do know this. I'm going to be like Him because we'll be with Him. In fact, look at verse 49. 1 Corinthians 49. 15-49. As we have borne the image of the earthy, you know like that, that's Adam's body. We know what it's like to live in this body. As we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. That's talking about Christ. It's talking about Him. We're going to bear the image of Christ. We're going to have a body just like His. Verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this, incorru- for this corruptible, this body, must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, I can't wait for that day. The trumpet will sound and we shall be changed. Do you understand what that means? We may not understand all that goes with it, but we can understand this. On that day that is promised by Christ, sin will be gone. Do you understand? Maybe 
You've never thought about this, but every relationship you have with God is through a sin nature. We don't commune with Him like we want to. We don't pray like we want to. We don't understand the Scriptures like we want to because it's through the view of a sinful body. When the resurrection comes, that's gone. There's no more fear. There's no more pain and suffering and weakness. There's no more feebleness of mind. There's no more death. All that's gone and it's just us and Him. Nothing between anymore. Nothing in the way anymore. And we will be glorified as He is. How do I know that? Because He lives. In a moment, that morning 2,000 years ago, it all changed as they saw the glorious fact that Jesus was alive. It changed their very lives. They go from weak and fearful to bold, changing the world as it know, as they as they knew it. Peter preached a sermon in which 3,000 people were saved weeks after denying the Savior three times. What changed? Christ arose. They saw Jesus is who He said He was. He is God in the flesh. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. And we can trust Him with our very lives and live our lives for Him. I pray that you would get a vision of that this morning. Jesus is alive. He is the Savior. He is your Lord. And because of that, He gives you life. Why is the resurrection so important? Because He gives us eternal life. He gives us a resurrected life here and now. And He will glorify us in the ages to come. But let me close with this thought. There is an if to all of this. You may hear these wonderful truths and be excited and say, oh, that's so wonderful and beautiful, but there's an if. If you believe. Because if you do not believe, none of that is true. The only thing that waits for you eternally is darkness and torment and pain and judgment. But as I have already said, God loves you. He does not want that for you. That's why He sent Christ to save us. And you can hear all of this and say, yeah, well, thanks, but no thanks. Wonderful sermon for an Easter. And you walk out the doors and you reject. And in doing so, you turn your back on all the life that He offers. Or you can hear it. You can believe the truth of the Word, the truth of who Jesus is. You can place your faith in Him and bow before Him, confess you are a sinner, and ask Him in faith to save you. And the Bible says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you would but trust Him this morning, He will give you life. And I pray that you would. Now listen, in, in just a moment we're going to close the sermon with a prayer and then we're going to have a time of invitation. That is not a time of pressure. It's not a time of forcing anyone to do anything. But what it is, is it's simply a, a, a moment of time to spend a few moments with prayer, just you and God. It's the time to take a look at your life and to look at, look at yourself and it's you and the Lord and it's time to work those things out. And I would urge you that as we, we do that, that you would 
whether it's come to the altar or whether it's at your seat, whatever you choose to do, that you would spend that time between you and God to get yourself in the right place. If you don't know Him 100% without a doubt as a personal Savior, and God is drawing your heart, ask Him to save you in faith. There's nothing else that you need to do. Baptism doesn't save you. Coming here doesn't save you. Giving money doesn't save you. It's just Jesus on the cross and placing your faith in Him. And I would pray that you would do that this morning before it's eternally too late. Or maybe you have struggles in your own lives. Bring that before Him. Maybe you need some more resurrection power. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty powerless. I'm pretty, feeling pretty fearful or beat down. Pray and ask God and He will give it to you. Or maybe, maybe you're just thankful for all that He's done. God is so good, so gracious, so merciful. Whatever the need is, I pray that you would take advantage of that. I pray the words this morning have been helpful and that we know the joy in our hearts that because He lives, He gives us life. Let's bow our heads in prayer if you would. Father, I ask your blessing now on the message that has gone forth. I pray that it has been helpful, that it has stirred our hearts and our minds to look to you, to look to your Son, who is alive and seated at your right hand forevermore, Lord, and is our Savior and our Lord and our God. I ask now that if there be one that does not know you, that you would draw their heart, they would see Jesus lifted up on the cross, bleeding for their trespasses, dying for their sins and risen for their justification, they would place their faith in Him even before it is eternally too late, Lord. And you know the struggles in our own lives and the, the hardship that this life brings, Lord. Please just, whatever the need is, you would draw us closer to ourself, closer to Yourself and grant that need as You see fit. I pray that Your Spirit would now move among us. In Jesus' precious name I pray, Amen.